Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each Sunday, you'll join us at the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series in the book of Matthew titled, Living the Life of the Beloved and the Belonged. Enjoy. All right, you're with me? All right, so let's take a look then at the review from, uh, from last week, just a brief little uh, summary of the things that we covered. So number one is a reminder that the Lord's Prayer reinforces this idea from God that we are His beloved. And that's kind of a neat way to think about the Lord's Prayer is that when we say our Father who art in heaven, it's this, this sense of that uh, parent-child relationship that we have with Him. And again, we are reminded that that was confirmed for us in our baptism, that in the baptism... Uh, in your baptism, Jesus said to you, God said to you, you are my beloved, you are my child whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And that echoes the very same words that uh, God said of his own son, uh, Jesus. Number two, God as our father, he does what? He provides, he protects, he loves, and he leads us. And so again, that's always that that uh, relationship that we have with him is that he initiates those things toward us. It's not that we start that, those things. It isn't that way at all. But again, as, as our father, he provides those things for us. And then number three, reverencing God is to trust in his will, even when you can't see it working. And that was a little bit, I thought that was a nice tie in today with Pastor Coleman's sermon with respect to storms in life. You know, when you're in the storm, it's really hard to see God at work other than like the storm. But, you know, if your boat is sinking, it's pretty hard to feel good about the way that God is working in that moment. And at times, and we can imagine how it was for Jesus' disciples, Jesus is in the back of the boat asleep and here they're bailing, you know, the boat and the waves are crashing and the wind is blowing. He must have been a really deep sleeper. That's, that's all I can say about that is, wow, his, his divine nature enabled him to sleep through that. But, uh, um, but that's always kind of how we feel, isn't it? When, when the tough things in life are happening at the moment that they're happening, the, the impulse that we have is he must not care. He must not care. Because he's not attentive to what we're going through. That's our assumption. But, but of course, it could not be further from the truth. So, so trusting him, which admittedly is easier to do the day that you win the lottery, right? The day that the good things happen. When, when everything just comes together and it's like, oh, this is the best ever. That's when it's, when it's easier to do that. And to be um, thinking, yes, he knows what he's doing, right? But when the things are kind of falling apart, that's when uh, trust requires us to trust and to trust in his will and that he knows what he's doing and that his timing is probably just a tiny little bit different than, uh, than our timing. Okay. Any thoughts about what we covered last week? None. Good. Great. Okay. Let's go to the next part then. All right. So what does he say then in the prayer? Give us... This day, our daily bread. Do you notice a redundancy in that petition? Today and daily. Why do you think he says it twice? Because 
Because we have a tendency to what? Worry about it. Yeah, that's right. See, we have a tendency to kind of doubt that. So, so let's talk a little bit about give us today our daily bread or this day our daily bread. All right. So God gives us daily bread and he doesn't just give it to us. Have you noticed that? God gives daily bread to believers and, and believers alike, right? Is that surprising to you? Do you? Are you a little slightly annoyed by that? You know, that maybe unbelievers are getting out-blessed than believers. You know, like we keep score a little bit. We're noticing those things. I, I think, humanly speaking, it surprises us a little bit that, that God would be so gracious and so generous in his love that he would provide those good things for people that could care less about him. And we kind of have a tendency to sort of think, wait a minute, now we're in the club and if you're in the club, you ought to get the benefits of being in the club. And if you're not in the club, you know, then you ought to be reminded that you're not in the club. And that would be a good way to do it, wouldn't it? But he does not work that way. All right. But he does it without our praying for it. So why pray for it? Yeah, Bob. Show our dependence on him. Yes. Oh, the D word. Dependence. How many of you love the idea that you're dependent on anybody? No hands went up. Oh, one hand went up. Oh, wow. One out of 50, right? Yeah. Actually, kind of, we don't like that. We would like to think that we are what? Independent of anything, of God in particular. And so the idea that when we pray for this, we're praying that we would be grateful We're praying that, of course, that God would continue to provide and sustain and all those kinds of things. But we're also praying that we would be thankful and grateful for all that God does. And this is one way for us to remind ourselves, as opposed to thinking that somehow we uh, we are owed this, right? We're entitled to this, um, that instead it's a gift of God's grace. Yeah, Bob. He also likes to hear from us. Oh, he likes to hear from us. That's a good one. Yeah. Pray and whatever. Yeah. Just just think about him and thank him. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I'm thinking that when uh, when I first went off to college at Concordia in Austin and my roommate hadn't showed up yet, I was the loneliest puppy on that whole campus. And at that time, we didn't have cell phones, of course. So if you wanted to call home, what did you have to do? You had to find a quarter first, put it in a payphone, then you have to call and hope somebody answers. And you hope it's your parent that answers and not one of your dumb brothers or sisters that says, oh, where are you? You know, so uh, something like that. Okay, but I remember almost every week at some point calling home. And that lasted for about two weeks. And that was the end of that, right? (laughs) But it's this idea of God as our parent, as our father. He likes to hear from us, right? And so I love that idea. That's really great because it's sort of this idea that we're going to keep that communication flow going between him and us. And so we're reminded that there's nothing wrong with praying for physical needs, physical necessities is what daily bread is, okay? And so we kind of think in terms of, well, what is daily bread? It would certainly be those things that are necessities for life. So give give me an example of a need. What's a necessity for life? 
Yeah, the usual water, food. Okay, thank, we got those out of the way. Now let's get to some real stuff, okay? What are some, you know, go a little deeper. What are, what are some, uh, some needs of life, some necessities? One is to be loved. Okay, that's one. I'm thinking more physical, though, daily bread stuff. Car. Car. Oh, car, yeah. Okay, transportation, right? Television remote control. <laughs> you know, like who stole the remote? Are you talking about that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Electricity, you know. I don't know what, what's going to happen in the world if... Uh, if electricity doesn't work anymore and then we can't plug in our chargers, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we'll all get smarter then. I don't know. All right. So Luther, Luther includes safety and security in daily bread. He also includes good business dealings. Isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah. I mean, so in other words, like honest people to work for or to work with and and that uh, contracts are honored, you know, all that kind of stuff, okay? He includes that in, uh, in daily bread. When we think in terms of the word bread in the scriptures, there's a kind of a two-faceted uh, meaning. One is uh, physical bread, obviously it's used that way, and then it's also used uh, in the form of something that feeds the soul or the spirit. So that which feeds the body, of course, we remember the story, many of us do, from Exodus. Remember, the children of Israel have left Egypt. They run out of food. They're going across the wilderness. They tell Moses, we've run out of food. And so then what does God do? Yeah, he provides this, uh, this sort of bread that they call, uh, they call uh, manna, all right? And so when did the manna show up, by the way? Every morning. Every morning except what morning? Sabbath didn't show up on the Sabbath because they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. So that meant on Friday night, what did they need to do according to God's provision? Yeah, you gather enough for Friday and then, or Saturday, and then, that, then you're not working on the Sabbath, okay? All right, and so what was the act of faith that God was uh, requiring of the people with respect to the manna? There were two things they had to do. One is they had to go out and what? Gather right? Enough for the day. That was the idea. And he also uh, put in a little boundary there to gather enough for the day. And that's all right. And what did he say would happen if they gathered more than enough for the day? It would spoil and smell bad, right? So wouldn't you know, there were some Germans in the group And they decided to test that. We're not sure that God really meant that literally, so we're just going to test that out. And, of course, then everybody knew who the Germans were because, you know, that's what happened. All right. So the first act of faith was that they had to go out and gather it according to the specifications that God had put forth. What was the second thing that they had to do, which was an act of faith? They had to eat it all. Now, why would eating it all be an act of faith? Well, you weren't supposed to collect more than you needed. Yeah. But why would eating it all? See, if you think of an act of faith as involving some risk, that's what makes faith so powerful, but it also at times makes it scary. Okay, I'm risking. Well, what, Phil? He provides just as much as you need. 
Yeah, and so what if I eat it all tonight, like he said, I'm trusting what? That he's going to provide it tomorrow, and I might be thinking to myself, you know, I don't know. I might have to save some because, you know, God, he might forget about me or he might change his mind overnight. See? And so that's where that act of faith comes in in terms of consume it all. Trusting then that God would provide the next day. And sure enough, God provided uh, the next day. Complaining after a while, you know, no flavor change. Well, I guess the taste of coriander seed uh, tasting like wafers made with honey. I don't know. Would you? Would that get old after a while? It maybe it would. Yeah, maybe it would. I mean, that maybe that's why. I mean, there was a point at which they they started to complain that you know uh, manna day after day after day manna manna manna. Okay, so you know they shifted from being grateful to feeling entitled, and that was a very significant shift for them. Does anybody know how God handled that moment with them? Yeah, he sent some plague on them and then they go, okay, okay, we got it. We got it. All right. You know, so God has his way of reminding us that uh, he doesn't owe us anything. And then Matthew 14, we know the story of the uh, five loaves of what? Of bread. Okay. The bread. So the Bible uses that word bread and daily bread and all that kind of thing to mean like literally like Mrs. Bear's bread. It'd be just like that, right? Okay. All right. And then there's the bread that feeds the soul or the spirit. Jesus says in, Matthew, in, in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, if you take that literally, like literal water, little, literal bread, that, that doesn't quite fit there. That doesn't make sense. So what is Jesus saying? This is the faith of feeding What's he, what's he saying? Trust, trust in me. And not only will all your needs be met, but even in terms of hungering and thirsting for fulfillment, spiritual fulfillment in life, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is often the phrase that's used in, uh, in the New Testament. And so he is everything we need would be maybe another way of describing that. And then in Matthew 26, we just celebrated that this morning in our early service and will in the late service while they were eating. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. So here you have uh, normal bread, everyday bread, being transformed into into the body of Christ. And, of course, the the wine was uh, transformed into the blood of Christ. So uh, that the whole idea of bread was a real keen uh, picture, word picture, that would have just absolutely everybody go, oh, yeah, okay, we totally get that. Anybody uh, ever eaten any Middle Eastern bread? Middle Eastern bread? Have you ever, like, gone to any of these Mediterranean restaurants that they, they, they have now all over the place? What kind of bread are we talking about there? Unleavened. What does it look like? It's flat. Yeah, it's real flat, and you can tear it open and dip stuff in it. It's pretty sturdy stuff, so that's a pretty good bread. Okay, next, we ready to go on to the next part? Yep. All right, here we go. So now he says, forgive us our debts. Some of the translations use the word, what's the other word we always say? Trespasses. Okay, we're going to kind of talk about some of the different ways that the Bible describes the word sin, because there's a whole bunch of Greek words that it uses for that. And then the English translation, 
uh, reflects those differences. So forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. What's the most important word in that sentence? Forgive us. Forgive us. As. As. Oh, yeah, as. What does as mean? Like we While we are at the same time. While we are at the same time, what? Forgiving others. <laughs> so what if we just take as out? Uh, or we, what if we put in there the definition that makes it slightly more conditional? Forgive us our debts, and maybe we'll get around to forgiving our debtors. <laughs> or forgive us our debts, but don't pay attention to how well we forgive our debtors. How about that one? All right. Okay. The word debt, the Greek word, is aphalama. And this word has to do with failures of duty toward God and each other. So to kind of pull that apart a little bit, when we think about the duty, yeah, I think sometimes we're a little bit uncomfortable with the word duty because that always sounds like obligation, right? That somehow it's not about my feelings. It's not about my my, uh, my uh, inclination toward you in a loving way is just, well, I'm just doing it because, you know, it's my duty. But, but actually, we do have duty toward God and toward each other, right? So first one is, is failing to love as God has loved us. It's kind of interesting when people get married. You know, that little part in the vows where they say, I do and I will, or however they say it, Right? That's duty. There's a duty there to the other person. Now, it's not duty in the form of you're going to do it, and if you don't, look out. It's not that. It's that you're obligating yourself to do that. That's what that is. That's why you say, I do, I, I will. So it's failing to love as God has loved us. So the question is, how does God love us? Unconditionally. Yeah, okay, unconditionally, that's a wonderful word. What exactly does that mean? In spite of our sins. So it's like he doesn't keep track. He doesn't keep score. Maybe of the good things we do, but not of the bad things we do. Good thing. And then it's failing to respect or give honor where it is due. Where is honor due? Where is respect due? Yes, to God, but I'm talking about human. Who do we owe respect to? Soldiers, first responders. How about people who serve higher office? See, that's kind of hard for us today, yeah. right? Because I think sometimes we look at the person in the office and we make judgments, therefore, as to whether or not we're going to respect or honor that person. But we're not looking at, we're looking at the wrong thing. See, it's honoring or respecting the office is what it's about. And that's what's, that's what's due. So when we fail to do that, what we're doing is we're creating a debt. All right. Now, so what, what he says here is forgive us our debts while we are at the same time doing that for the people around us, either people in that uh, with whom we're in a relationship, or it could just be people out there. It's whoever, whoever that might be. So when we say forgive, that this is kind of an interesting word. So what forgive means here is to untie or, or, or is to unbind that thing from you that is tied to you. So, so if someone owes you something, so let's just take a debt like in the form of money. 
right? If someone owes you money and you forgive the debt, what does that mean you've just done? You're untying, you're unbinding uh, that person to the, what they owe you. And if you fail to forgive or you say, I'm not going to forgive, well, then you're saying you still owe me, yeah. right? That's what that is, all right? So when we forgive, I like to have you think of it this way. And it works pretty well to, to tie in that idea of the, of the monetary debt, okay? So if, if somebody owes you a sum of money, there, that's money right there. That's green, okay? And that's you, and this person owes you some sum of money, and you forgive that person, then what you're saying is you don't owe me that anymore, right? Where is the pain in that? Your pocket. <laughs> Did you hear what he said? Your pocket. See, because if I'm the one doing the forgiving of you, then who bears the pain of that? See, I, no, I bear the pain of that. See, because now I have to somehow make up for the loss that has occurred because I'm not going to get that money back. Right? Make sense? Okay, now what if the thing that's the debt isn't money, but it's some bad thing or some hurt or some sin or some whatever, all right? If I forgive you, who's bearing the pain of that? The other guy. No, I am. Because, because what I'm saying is I no longer require you to somehow make that up to me. I no longer require you to, you know, be nicer to me. I no longer require you to change whatever it is you're doing. I'd like for you to, but I'm not requiring it. I'm not making that a condition of the fact that we, we have forgiveness. Okay? So a way to sort of, another way to think about that is, let's put that word up, sin. Okay? So if, if one of you sins against me, and I want to forgive you, what am I going to do with sin? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? You're going to erase it, okay? Who would like to come up and, be, and try this out with me? Oh, you chicken, chicken, chicken. Okay, okay, Glenn. Glenn will be the guinea pig here. Okay, all right. So, uh, so you have sinned against me, right? You've done something against me, and I remember it, and maybe you don't even know about it. Okay, so I'm going to forgive you. Thank you, Glenn. Please sit down. <laughs> Let's give Glenn a big hand for that. Wasn't that? See, I don't know why anybody else didn't want to do that. Man, you guys just don't trust me. Okay. Now, where did the sin go? It went here. Yeah. And you're still. And who's holding it? are. See, now who bears the burden of. When you forgive somebody, you are bearing the burden of the hurt that that person caused. That's what's hard about forgiveness. Now, granted, I'm going to want to do what with it? No, I probably need to lay it at the altar of Jesus is what I need to do with it. But see, that's what's hard about it. That's what hard's about. That means, see, because what I'm not going to do, if I refuse to forgive, what's happening is I am choosing 
to hold that hurt against you. And if you think about it from a tangible perspective, if let's say this is hurt, okay, I'm, what am I going to do? I'm going to hold this against you. Did that feel good when they did that? Okay. <laughs> See, and when I forgive, what I'm doing is I'm saying, I will not hold this against you, but I will bear this myself. That's what Jesus did. When he went, when Jesus went to the cross, that's what he did. He did what? He took our sin, what? Upon himself and he suffered and died. And then when he rose again, God said, that's proof that what Jesus did was enough. And that's why we take the burden of that and we lay it at the foot of Jesus in the same way that that's what God did for us. That's what it means when it says, forgive us, forgive us as we forgive each other. But always in the back of our mind, it's in the way that you have already done that for each of us. Yeah. Well, with God, though, he forgives us and then forgets it. With a human being, we may say, I forgive you, but it's so much harder for us to forget about, you know, yeah. what happened. Why is that? Why is it so hard to forget? And by the way, I, I challenge you to find it in the Bible where it says forgive and forget. So let me know, not today, but sometime. Okay. It's not in there. Now, what would make us think that it would in fact be a good thing to do if we could humanly, if we could forget uh, what we have forgiven? Why would that be a good thing? Yeah. I guess the reason why we struggle to forget is that we haven't really completely forgiven. I don't think I agree with that. But I get where you're coming from. I mean, I'm thinking we want to be for, forgiven by God as we have forgiven our debtors. So to me, that puts a tremendous burden on me to really forgive. Yeah. yeah. And if you continue to hold on, remember, it could be you're trying to protect yourself, or it could be that you really haven't forgiven. Okay, so we'll... Here's where I go with that. I would I will be open to the possibility that I really didn't forgive. Okay, I'll be open to that because sometimes we hang on to hurt and we hang on to stuff like that and we haven't forgiven. So I'll acknowledge that. But I would not want to say that it's always that way because there are other factors that go into into remembering. Yeah, Phil. Uh, a, a lot of people um, seem to equate forgiveness also with a restoration of trust. Yeah. So yeah. how, how, how yeah. would you reconcile forgiving somebody but not, say, completely trusting them yeah. with whatever trespass they may have committed against you? Well, in the form of a, when abuse is the issue, you can't trust. Well, I should say it this way. You could trust, but it would be very safe to do that, and it would have to be with very firm boundaries and maybe law enforcement and <laughs> minefields and machine guns, okay? I mean, because, because trust is an issue. I mean, safety is an issue, okay? And so I would sort of argue that it is harder to forgive when you don't trust, but we, but we should not equate the two, okay? So it gets down to basic motives. Why do we forgive? 
Why should you forgive somebody who's hurt you? Hmm? God expects it. Uh, beyond God expects it. <laughs> so you can go on with your own life. Beyond going on with your own life. Beyond that. Bob. Yes, you'll feel better, but that's not why we do it. Okay, this hurt is like a brick. How long are we going to carry that brick around? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but like a, a thought I had a little earlier about the point was, how many of us are having shorter and shorter memories? <laughs> well, that's a benefit. <laughs> Memory loss is a benefit here. Let me tell you, the one thing is good. Now, okay, so you're hitting all around it. Why do we forgive? Why? Do, why? What if it doesn't feel good? What if it doesn't make your life better? What if you can't move on? What if uh, you like the brick because you can't wait to slug your neighbor with it? I mean, you know, what if all the th reasons that we've given as to why we forgive aren't in play for you? And that, and that rolls that way. What other motive could there possibly be that would, would overcome that? It's because God in Christ forgave you. The reason why we forgive is because God's forgiven you. That's why. And because God has already done it for you in Christ, that's my ultimate motive, but it's also my ultimate power behind the ability to do it in the first place. I have to lean on his grace to do it because there are some things that are so deeply injurious to you. It's humanly impossible to forgive. But, but you know, leaning on God's grace, pouring a little grace out on that situation, uh, dealing with it at, from that perspective, it's, it's doable. Okay? But the difference, you see, between trust and forgiveness, or let's broaden it, between trust and love, is that love is always unconditional. Trust is totally conditional. You got to earn the trust. And the way you do it is by being trustworthy. So if I, if I say, well, will you do this? And you say, yeah, I'll do this. Then you do it. Okay, you've earned some trust with me. And if that continues like down a you know, certain consistency, well, then I'm going to be able to give you a lot of trust, right? But if you burn me and you don't say, you don't do what you said you were going to do, well, then now trust takes a hit and maybe I shouldn't trust you. Can I still forgive you? Yes. Can I still love you? Yes but I might have to do it from a distance. I can't maybe do it just right next to you because if you're somebody who's abusive and you're somebody who doesn't realize they were abusive or care, then the likelihood is that they're going to do it again and that's not good for them or me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's some common sense that plays into that. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, I, I think even physically, humanly, to totally forget something, yeah. I don't think I'd want the ability because you didn't learn anything. Yeah. Whether you've done the sinning or been sinned against, you sure. learn anything, you didn't grow. Yeah, how would you learn something from it if you couldn't remember that it happened? The other thing is, is that you might put yourself in the position of being abused again because you just kept doing the same thing over and over again. Okay? So the other reason why it's really hard to forget is because every memory you have is stored in your brain in the form of a Netflix movie. <laughs> Until, as Bob pointed out, our memory uh, gets shorter and shorter, and then we, the movie's still there, we just can't remember where we put it, you know, that's, or how do I plug this in, you know? So, but that's part, that's what happens. So 
when people say forgive and forget, there is some merit to that in the sense that what happens if I forgive and then I continue to treat you like dirt? Then there's some question about whether or not I've forgiven or I'm not buying in totally into the idea that forgiveness means that I need to treat you as one whom I have forgiven in my thoughts about you, in my words about you, in my actions toward you. If I'm not willing to do that, then probably I haven't really forgiven. All I've done is just said the words, but I didn't really obligate myself to the duty of the forgiver. See, it's the same thing with the guy that owed me money. Oh, I forgave the debt and I'll bill you next month. <laughs> what? See, it's kind of the same thing. So, so if I'm not willing to treat you as one whom I've forgiven, now what, what would that mean? To treat you with kindness, to treat you with fairness, to not have a grumpy look on my face every time I see you. Okay. And so the idea of forgive and forget really came out of this notion that if you forgive somebody and then you're continually replaying in your mind over and over again what that person did to hurt you. And then whenever you get a chance and you're talking to your mother or your father or your girlfriend or your guy friend or whoever it is, you know, sitting down with a few beers and all of a sudden here it comes, the big story, and ruminating over and over again about how that person ripped you off. You will not be able to get to a better place. So that's the idea, I think, behind forgive and forget. Okay. Forgive it. Remember that you forgave it. Tell yourself that you forgave it and tell other people that you forgave it. And then treat that person with kindness and guess what will happen? Eventually the, the hurt will fade. And how you feel will catch up to what you said. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, we went way off our lesson here, but actually it fit. So, yeah. I mean, forgive him, but mentally the FICO score that he has is about 585 rather than 800. So you're keeping, so the score is dropping. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm not going to lend him that money anymore. Yeah, well, that, and that's where trust comes in. Yeah, forgive. See, forgive and trust are related, but they're two different things. So uh, the Bible talks about the word reconciliation. And the Bible talks about the word forgive. Jesus says, forgive your brother from your heart, right? And so that would be the prerequisite for uh, reconciliation. But just because you've forgiven somebody does not mean that you have reconciliation. Because reconciliation requires what? A coming together of the two parties. And now we're working toward restoring trust. That may not be possible. And sometimes it isn't. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, I'd just like to throw in here. We sometimes forget the enormity of our sin against the holy God. And we think we've done just some piccadillos against God. And that other person did something terrible to us. Jesus gives the parable of the 10,000 talents versus the 100 denied. Mm -hmm. The 10,000 talents was like $100 billion. Mm -hmm. So uh, picadillos, that's an interesting word that you use there. And so just so I know what you mean when you use the word, that word, what, what do you mean by that? We, we don't consider our sins against God that serious. Yeah, yeah. And we, don't we tend to do that? I mean, we do that with each other, don't we, too? When we do something, it's, oh, why are you making a big deal about that little thing I did, right? But boy, somebody else can do the exact same thing to us, and it's a federal case. 
right? So we kind of tend to do that a little bit. And if we do that with each other, then for sure we're doing that with God. Okay. So again, the idea here is that forgiveness is a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. But as is the case in most good things, that doesn't make it easy. And forgiveness is probably one of those things that when we forgive, particularly when what we're forgiving is really cuts deep, that's probably when we really truly experience the most in terms of what it meant to be like Jesus. And, and there's, there's a duty to do that. Okay. All right. Now, so then he says, after forgive us as we have forgiven our debtors or while we're forgiving our debtors, um, then he says, lead us not into temptation. Sometimes that's a little confusing because we know from the scriptures, it says that God himself is not in the business of tempting people. And in the book of James uh, 1, 13 to 15, we're, we're told that when tempted, one, uh, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So there is this this flow of consequence, if you will. And the flow of consequence is, is that the little thing can lead to a big thing unless there's an intervention in there somewhere. All right, that's the point he's making. But where does the, the lure of sin come from? Who's the one tempting? The devil is, right? He's the one tempting, but why does it work? That's a better way of asking it. Why does, why does it work? Why does temptation work? Yeah, I know we're human, but what he's saying here is that within us as humans, we have something in us working not in our best interests, right? Uh, how do you say that? Oh, their own evil desire, yikes, right? And enticed. So if you think of it, it's like there's this inner subversive flaw that is working against you, but you have to admit feels pretty good. Right? So you think in terms of what is it that lures you? What is it that lures you? What is it that would have the capacity to seduce you into saying, yes, master, yes, master? Okay? We all have it. What are some examples? What, what? Chocolate ice cream. Chocolate ice cream. Yes, I know. I, what is that? It's so good for you, but. It just calls to you. It's like a siren song. When you drive by the Bluebell place, you have to tie yourself to the car, you know, something like that, you know? Yeah. What else? What else lures you? Instant gratification or whatever you need. Yeah, whatever it is. Okay. But I'm thinking of what some of those things are. So we know we had one honest person here, right? Thank you, Bev. Okay. What else? What lures you? What is it that you're wishing for that will probably never happen in a million years, but you just can't stop thinking about it, right? Money, yeah. Why do, why do we want to win the lottery? Do, come on. How many of you have already planned out how you're going to spend the lottery, the $360 million when you win it? I entertain myself sometimes driving in from Arlington thinking about, okay, here's what I'm going to do with it. 
Well, Carolyn, you and me were the only honest ones about that one. Okay, yeah, all right. What lures you? What lures you? Oh, really? <laughs> the easy way. Oh, the easy way. Yes. We pray for that, don't we? Yeah. We don't want it to be hard. Or the way that just feels good, you know, whatever that might be. All right. So again, it's so when when we are enticed and we give into it, that's his point, right? Then it gives birth to sin. And in this case, the word sin, the Greek word is amartia, which means falling short of the target. So that's another use of the word sin. It's not moral failing is not what he's saying here. It's that we were aiming for some level of perfection. We were aiming for some level of performance. I was trying to win the race so I could come in first place and get the trophy. But instead, what happened was I stumbled and fell, and then I didn't get anything but a skinned knee. All right. That's what Amartya is. And that's what he's talking about in terms of how that gives birth to that. Okay? So what is it that we're praying for in this petition? We're praying for God's protection against what? Putting yourself in the position of being tempted in the first place. So there's some value here in knowing yourself and where you are vulnerable. That's why I was asking before. How well do you know yourself? How well do you know where your weak spots are and that you have to take extra precaution either to not put yourself uh, right in front of that glass door at Kroger's where the ice cream all is, (laughs) right? And then you look in your pocket and you say, oh, gee, rats, I don't have any money. And then you're like looking around and you go, oh, wow, look at that, a gift card from Kroger's. Where did that come from? All right, see? Don't put yourself in that position in the first place. How many people get burned by lighting a match and holding on to it? And then how many people, when they get burned, look around for somebody else to blame for the fact that they just got burned? Hello. Need to know yourself and be honest with yourself about what your weak, where your weakness is, because the devil already knows. And he knows how to lure, you know, that word lure, like how many fisher people, how many fishermen, fisherwomen do we have here? Lures. Okay. You know what a lure is? It's that shiny thing that's on the end of the string of the fishing line. And it's so beautiful. And some of them today are so beautiful and so realistic looking. And so when your eyes is on the lure, what is that that you don't see? The hook. And that's what the devil excels at is the hook. Okay. So you're praying for God's protection against yourself. (laughs) Lord, protect me from me. Right. Okay. The second thing you're praying for is discernment to recognize the devil's temptations in those things. And that I would say is in short supply today is discernment. People believe everything until what? Until it comes up and bites them. And then, oh, I shouldn't have believed that. Well, it's a little bit too late then. Okay. So some of the things that we need to recognize with discernment is number one is spiritual deception through false beliefs. False beliefs would be trusting in something that you think will save you when in fact it has no chance to save you. That's what a false belief is. Okay. Seductive lifestyles and habits, right? If it feels good, do it. Toxic guilt and shame. I use that word toxic to mean 
that a little bit of guilt and a little bit of shame is actually helpful to you, right? Because what a little bit of guilt does is it reminds you that you're not perfect and that you need forgiveness. But toxic comes in when people start to believe that what they are doing is unforgivable. And that's when despair kicks in, depression kicks in. And I, I, I'm just really convinced that uh, one of the aspects of the high degree of, uh, of suicide in, in our world today is toxic guilt and toxic shame. It's that sense that I'm, I'm unsalvageable. And I've done some really bad things in my life, and I can't overcome those, and God can't even forgive them, and Lord knows nobody else can either. And so what's the point of living? Okay. So toxic, selfish pride would be another one, hopelessness and despair. So the beloved life principle number 32 is that there is a difference between being tempted and being tested, being tested. The purpose of a test is to grow more genuine and strong in your faith. And so we lean on the first Peter passage there, first Peter one, six and seven, he says in this, and what he's talking about is difficulties in life. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So trials and tests are used interchangeably. Okay. These, the trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So the purpose of the test is to help me grow in the genuineness of my faith, is to, to be able to trust uh, what God has done for me in, in Jesus Christ, to be able to trust that through thick and thin. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm always like high trust. Sometimes it's low trust, right? But it's still the genuineness of that. And that's what he's talking about. That have you heard the phrase trial by fire? When I was in seminary, they talked about baptism by fire. Same idea, right? We taught you everything there is to know in seminary. And now we fling you out in the world to learn that none of that made any difference, right? Okay. And then he goes, he finally finishes with this part where he says, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I know in our versions, we use uh, d deliver us from evil, and it's kind of in an uh, abstract sort of way, evil in the world. But the Greek actually says evil one, which makes it way more personal. Now, so who are we talking about when we say the evil one? It's the devil. It's not your enemy. It's not somebody that takes your parking spot. It's not that. Okay, it's the evil one. So God has promised to deliver you from Satan, who is the evil one. And then what we're also praying for is for God's deliverance from all evil in the world. We are praying for that. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but in the responsive prayers that we do in our church at the end of, sort of the end of the service, we pray for that. We're praying that governments would do God's will, and we're praying that God, that... Uh, people that hold office in some way, high office, that they will be doing God's will. And we're praying that God would, would uh, deliver us from, uh, from evil in the world. And uh, ultimately that will come with heaven, but we would hope that it would also, will also come here. Okay. Thoughts about what we've covered so far? Pretty heavy stuff, huh? Yeah, this will be good stuff. All right. So where we're going to pick it up next time is the next verses of 14 and 15, where again, 
Forgiveness must be a pretty important thing because what Jesus does is he, he has a sort of a, a, a part that comes after it, right? If you forgive other people their sin, etc. So, so there's, a, there's an extra part that he adds to it. I guess that means that forgiveness is pretty important. All right, very good. Well, let's close our prayer for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that your word speaks to us. It, it just always does. Whenever we think that, oh, it was written so long ago, and maybe it's not relevant today, and then we read words like we read today, it hits us right between the eyes. Lord, we're thankful for that. We're grateful for that because that reminds us that uh, your word is powerful and your word is power. Your word is your grace. So I would uh, pray, dear Lord, for each one of us here today that uh, this, in this coming week, we're going to have a temptation. We're going to have tests of faith. We're going to have those moments when we're truly tempted to hang on to the hurt that other people cause us and, and the sin that they commit and, and the failings that they commit. We're going to be tempted, Lord, to, to look at them with that critical judgmental spirit and maybe not so much at ourselves. That's the moment, Lord, when your grace and the power of your word can really come to, uh, to have, a, have a way with us. So help us, Lord, to be reminded that you love us, that you forgive us, and that we have the opportunity to extend that love and that forgiveness to others in the form of uh, forgiving them. Watch over us, Lord. Be with us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.